Howdy, everyone, and welcome back to The Kentuckian. We've got an interesting topic today. Why does communism and socialism always fail? History is littered with examples of failed socialism and communism, but why? There are people that will tell you, well, it just hasn't been done right yet. But I really want to dig for a few minutes as to why, at a fundamental level, communism or socialism doesn't work. By the way, I'll probably mainly refer to socialism, but this all holds true for communism as well. Really, there aren't many differences between socialism and communism, except communism tends to be a little more extreme. So I may elaborate on how, elaborate on how a certain point may apply slightly differently to communism, but realize that they are in many ways interchangeable. First, let's talk about socialism in principle. Socialism on its surface sounds all right. Oh, we're just trying to make sure that those, uh, you know, trying to make sure that everyone's taken care of. Or maybe we want to ensure that the downtrodden can live in a way that's fulfilling or dignified to a human being. With some of these arguments, you get a little bit into the, the base philosophy of communism. It's slightly different from communism in practice. Karl Marx had some writings before he wrote the Communist Manifesto, but we won't get sidetracked with that. But those are some of the, the arguments, right? It's all about people. Communist and socialist sympathizers will emphasize that it's just about caring about people, about doing what's right. And here you get to one of the foundational issues with socialism or communism, what I will term the cult of self-righteousness. The way the effects of this cult, if you will, are normally manifested in political discourse is something known as class warfare. Now, and you may realize I'm using cult a little bit loosely, but I think it does sort of demonstrate the attitude in general quite well. Now, most of you have probably heard of the term of class warfare. Marx believed that, and in case you didn't know, Marx was the founder of communism. He wrote the book, The Communist Manifesto, which basically outlined what communism ideally would be. Uh, it inspired people like Lenin and Stalin and, and those people. So, so Marx believed that history was driven by lower and upper classes struggling with each other. When you talk about the downtrodden, right, people are like, we want to take care of the downtrodden, make sure they can live in a dignified manner. It can very easily refer to those that are beaten down by others above them. Downtrodden can vary. I mean, the idea of downtrodden, right? Trod, someone is being trod downward. That means somebody is doing the trotting, if you will, right? Somebody's stepping on you. Uh, we don't always use it in that sense, but you can see very easily how it'd be used that way. These people can't, quote unquote, do much of anything because someone else is holding them back. Get a little bit into victim mentality as well. This is also why socialists focus on these subgroups that are either by definition or by nature held back. You can think about the way people, especially liberals, perceive the black community, black Americans, uh, who, who they assume that every black American and, and, and believe that every black American is held back simply because of their skin color. Or people that might actually be held back, like disabled people because not necessarily society as they may try and convince you but because they have a literal disability that they have to work through i think that the disabled groups are particularly dangerous for people who are hearing these arguments because i mean who thinks that we shouldn't do something to help disabled groups you know mentally disabled uh, blind you know take your pick at whatever disability you want to talk about hopefully not many people think that we shouldn't help these groups of course we want to help them, but this is where the, the cult of self-righteousness comes in. It tries to use guilt-tripping to get you to agree with their political agenda. You know, they'll ask, well, don't you care about disabled people? Well, of course we do. 
Who doesn't, right? But see, these communists and these socialists don't care about disabled people. Not really. These people are simply a prop to put them above other people, morally, as they see it, that disagree with them. One key to realizing this and to seeing this demonstrated is in their proposed solutions. They propose all sorts of radical changes to virtually every structure and function of society, using the long arm of a powerful government, of course. And they do this in the name of stopping racism, white privilege, sexism, now something that's becoming very common, ableism, people that are, are discriminating against those that are disabled. Instead of asking both the people that are actually, they're actually trying to help and in a practical, logical sense, what is a viable solution? Hey, let's do some research. Let's figure out what we can do to actually help these people. They tell us what the government should make people do as a solution. And the solution, uh, usually it comes from a college professor, it seems like, hurts virtually every other quote unquote group you could split people into. Oh, and don't forget that it's rarely helpful to the people that it's actually pointed to. Um, a quick example of this, let's think, look at how affirmative action actually greatly harms black Americans in general. And that's a whole other topic in and of itself. But th this solution that's more of a political agenda than it is a real solution. But that's the thing. It's not about real solutions. It's about pushing a political agenda and claiming moral superiority over anyone that disagrees for any reason. It's a quote-unquote selflessness that is totally and completely selfish. I mean, why worry about actually arguing science, logic, and real solutions when you can feel good emotionally and you can feel like you're a good person doing good things? Burn down a building to protest systemic racism in the very neighborhoods you claim are affected? Hey, at least it feels like I'm doing good, regardless of the actual results. And they can claim that you are morally inferior because you don't agree with their solution to help other people. Another common argument along these lines that you'll hear is it's immoral for such and such a person to have so much money. We should give it to the people that really need it. And on the surface, like, oh, yeah, these people have so many billions of dollars, right? They can't even spend it if they tried. And there's people that need money. Why don't we just take it from those people and, and, and give it to the people that really need it? Well, you know, and, and they'll claim that's moral. They'll say it's immoral for somebody to have so much more money than someone else. But uh, I don't know. It seems to me like you're being awfully generous with somebody else's money, right? I would ask you, what is moral and compassionate about stealing from someone who has earned it to give it to someone that hasn't and often refuses to earn it? This kind of messed up logic was nearly killed Jamestown the first colony in the New World, at least first English colony, with the common store system. And the common store system is just what it sounds like. They literally had basically a storehouse, and everybody had to contribute, but everybody could take from it. When it really mattered, when it came down to survival, socialism didn't have a prayer of working. They had to get rid of it so quickly because it, it degraded people's work ethic so quickly. I mean... For them, why farm? Why hunt? Why gather food when, hey, I could be walking on the beach looking for the sacks of gold that they had been told were just sitting on the beaches of North America, and uh, somebody else will do the work, right? I realize that not every person that espouses some of these beliefs is really all that selfish as well. See, that's one thing that is so dangerous about especially the appeal to, to people that are disabled I think in particular because that's something that we see around us. It's like, well, of course they need help, or, or, or we would think so, right? Of course, 
we care about them. But that's the thing because it's a because they do appeal to certain groups that everybody agrees we need to help. It can rein in. It can it can hook people that are genuinely compassionate. And I realize that there are people that are genuinely compassionate that believe some of these things. But the thing is, they're just not right. They're not really helping. And this is where, you know, hopefully some people would see, oh, these solutions aren't really helping. I need to look for something else. But part of the problem is once you get hooked into this, it builds this self-righteous attitude in people that are initially very well-intentioned because it changes the way you think. You're supposed to look at, at groups and, and divide and look at who's oppressing and who's being oppressed and all these different things. And I think that's part of where you get into the, the cult of self-righteousness, the idea of like this, this cult-like group that it, it just it transforms people into, into things that they would have never imagined a year before when they first went to college and started having their philosophy classes and everything else. And perhaps I'll cover this more in depth in, in, a, in a later episode, this cult of self-righteousness and this dangerous attitude that transforms even well-meaning people into, into people that, even if they're still well-intentioned, they're not doing anything to actually help the people they want to help. But the highlights for, the, for this point to remember now is that it's about dividing into groups, right? Oppressed and oppressing and, you know, using government as a solution all the time instead of focusing on real practical solutions and claiming moral superiority over all naysayers in order so that they don't have to argue the logical merit of their beliefs and they can focus on emotional and selfish fulfillment instead of reality. Another point, the second point is main point as to why communism and socialism doesn't work, why it always fails, is that it is fundamentally contrary to human nature. Collectivism, if you want to term it that way, is fundamentally contrary to human nature. Humans are social creatures, but we're also individuals at the same time. From an economic standpoint, socialism and communism destroys all motivation to inno innovate to make money, to make something of yourself at all because you literally can't. The government keeps you from being able to make money, from being able to, to survive, to gain wealth of any kind from your own labors. From your own labors. Again, you're not – you can be anybody. You have no motivation to do anything like that because it doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how little you work. They already have decided how much money you're going to make, what opportunities you'll have in life, and everything else. This is one of the, I think, perhaps at least economically, one of the greatest ironies of communism and socialism. Because the supposed economic and societal oppression that saw socialism and communism is supposed to fix, right? The proletariat and, and the upper class, the rich people versus the poor people, and equalizing wealth so that everybody can live dignified. The very issues it's supposed to fix are actually caused in real life, in a practical sense, by socialism and communism itself. See, people are designed to have a sense of possession, of property. Kids from a very young age have a desire to take ownership of things. I think well, many of us know of this directly, right? This, of course, has to be tempered by parents. They have to teach their children to balance possession with a sense of priority, that it's important as individuals to help others and to not be selfish, right? Parents have to teach that to kids. But God himself makes clear that property and possession are an important part of human beings 
as much as being compassionate and caring is an important part of human beings. At its core, though, this issue, why socialism and, 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 and communism, collectivism in a general sense, is contrary to human nature, is because all these issues are about taking responsibility for our own lives. Individualism is about taking responsibility for yourself. Not, not trying to get somebody else to do something for you or to give something for to you or give you a handout or, or work when you should be working. Individualism, and of course it can be taken out of context or, or overblown like anything, but is about taking responsibility, taking charge of your own life. And really, you want to get into it, and this isn't a Bible study, but I'm not afraid to talk about it. It's about living as God would have us to live. We can't, we can't be saved for somebody else as Christians. It's impossible. Each of us have to make a decision to serve God because he has made us as individuals as much as he has made us one of a collective group known as homo sapiens according to humans, right? As humans, right? We, we do live in a collective sense, but... It's not like, you know, an ant colony where really nobody has any free will. There's just the queen. The queen tells everybody what to do, and they just do it. No, we are, we are social, but we are individuals at the same time. And that's part of what gives humans so much potential because we have an innate interest in others, or we should, but we also have a motivation to perform on an individual level, even if that is in context of helping the group, helping other people. Each of us has to make an individual choice as to how we will live. Even, even if we're in a socialist or communist country, even if the government's telling us X, Y, and Z to do, is giving us instructions for our daily life, we still have to make the individual choice to accept that. But socialism and communism tries to take this away, plain and simple. And that is not how humans function. We've constantly seen the failures of both communism and socialism because of this. And the consistent success of freedom and personally responsible societies and economies throughout history. This is also a mild socialism never stays mild. When you appeal to laziness and greed and so on and then reward that behavior, people want more and more and goes to the core of laziness and greed. You get a stipend from the government for food? Well, why not throw in gas, too? How about a free phone, too? Maybe a paycheck? I mean, where does it end, right? And the thing is, is it doesn't. It's also connected to the next point that I'm going to make about power, because the power-hungry will also offer more and more of these, these vices, right? They will appeal to your laziness and your greed so that you'll give up more and more of your personal power, of your individual responsibility to them. Now, for just a moment, um, and this is important to remember, but for just a moment, in line with this, I want to briefly address the misconception that Jesus Christ was a socialist. Now, for some, this may seem out of the blue. Some of you may have never heard of it, um, but some of you may be all too familiar with it. And there are people that claim that Jesus Christ was a socialist. It is true that Jesus Christ wants the poor to be taken care of. Yes, it's true that he fed thousands of people, quote-unquote, for free. Yet these situations and teachings have nothing to do with the government forcibly taking property from people that worked for it and giving it to those who haven't. On an individual level, we're to take care of the poor. Remember that whole personality, personal responsibility thing we were talking about? Right? On an individual level, as servants of God, we need to help take care of the poor. That has nothing to do with the government. And I don't want to get too far off track. Um, the miracles that some people refer to, well, he fed these people. 
the feeding of the 4,000, feeding of the 5,000, along with the rest of Christ's miracles, they were simply to confirm that his teachings and his claims were divine. Uh, and again, this isn't a Bible study, and while a Bible study or, or even a, another podcast on this would be more than appropriate, I want to leave it off here. Um, but this is something that's risen before. There's been Christian socialist groups in American history. Um, and again, could be in much greater detail, but I don't want to get too far off track. I did just want to mention that because as Christians, it's important to think about that as well. Um, there's always an emphasis on personal responsibility. And that goes to taking care of the poor, that goes to working, that goes to making money, to making the best of ourselves. And of course, the most important thing, deciding how we're going to live our life and whether that'll be in accordance with God's will. All right, now I want to go into the third point. Socialism and communism always fails because it puts too much power in the hands of a few. Because of the nature of socialism and communism, the government has to be extraordinarily powerful in order to maintain its tenets. That kind of makes sense, right? We talked about if you're going to control all these different aspects of the economy of human life, you have to have a lot of resources to be able to do that. As we mentioned, socialism and communism takes away individual responsibility. And while supporters claim that it's about equality, it's really about laziness and selfishness, as we've already discussed from a couple different angles. And again, uh, I will freely admit not everyone who espouses some of these beliefs are innately lazy and selfish, but the very nature of these policies, the very nature of these philosophies generate laziness and selfishness. That's what that's their whole appeal, right? Because somebody else can make the decision for me. Look at the fact that communists or socialists, again, however, however you want, collectivists, fundamental solution to every problem, real or conceived, as we talked about briefly, some of these problems aren't even real problems, but how their solution to every problem at its core is the government. What's the government? Think about it. It's someone else. There's still, yeah, the government is an organization, but there's people that run that organization. There's somebody ultimately making those decisions. Someone else will take all these hard, hard life decisions about what I'm going to make of myself, how, where I'm going to work, you know, how much money I'm going to make. Someone else will make it for you. They'll make it nice and easy. You know, hey, we're all equal, right? So there's no competition. There's no desire to, to make yourself better because, quote unquote, we're all equal, right? And the thing is, there's still somebody making that decision. Again, you can call it the government. You can think of it as some organization that that supposedly has your best interest in mind, but it's still a person. There's still a person somewhere making that decision, and it's not you, even if it's your responsibility. This core laziness, selfishness, and lack of personal responsibility leads to someone making those decisions of necessity. And they're hard. I mean, they, they're, they're decisions that have to be made, right? You have to contribute to society. Food has to be grown and produced. Um, machines have to be made and maintained. I mean, you know, uh, there's things that have to be done, and someone will make sure they get done. And as you might guess, there are always people that are perfectly willing to take huge amounts of power and to control others, whether willingly or unwillingly, as we've seen throughout history. We may be familiar with the saying of Lord Acton, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. 
and I mean that 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 principle was something that was a big thing even at the time of, of the revolution, the American War for Independence, that there was too much power concentrated in the hands of too few. The king was was overstepping his bounds, right? But the thing is, you know, we might think about tyrannical kings and dictators and everything, but is socialism not the ultimate incarnation of absolute power in the hands of a few? Remember, if you don't do something to stop socialism or communism, if you don't take action today, even in this country, even in the United States of America, someone other than you, and again, this is willingly or unwillingly, will be making decisions like where you work, who you marry, what and how much you get to eat, how many kids you get to have, how, when, where, and if you can worship, if and what kind of car you get to have. Newsflash, history has shown us you probably won't get one at all. What you can read, what you can say, and to the degree they can control it, what you can think. In the Soviet Union, you had to get permission from a government official to change your thermostat. That's how bad it gets. The results in general are absolutely disastrous. Look at the corruption and the inefficiency. Think about having to go through bureaucracy to change your thermostat. Look at all the, the insane amounts of power uh, that these leaders of communism, who, where everybody's supposed to be equal, have not only all this power but insane amounts of money and, 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 and resources and influence when they're not supposed to because it's communism. We're all supposed to be equal, at least in theory, and then… And again, this, this would be a, a proper topic in and of itself. The hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions of people murdered to maintain communism and socialism. And of course, you might say, well, of course, communism, right? The Soviet Union, communist China, especially under Mao Zedong, uh, North Korea, where, where all these, these millions and millions and millions of people were murdered. But there are two other areas as well. And you're like, well, does socialism really kill that many people? Yeah, it does. It's not as aggressive about it. Well, generally not as aggressive. For one, remember that Nazi Germany was socialist. Nazi stands for the National Socialist German Workers' Party. Yes, maybe the, the Nazi regime was nationalist in its motivation. It, it you know didn't focus on like equality and, and breaking down the classes as much as it did about bringing up a, a, a better Germany, but it was still socialist. Economically, policy-wise, belief-wise, it was still socialist. Oh, and also don't forget birth control, population control. If they weren't outright killed, people are uh, left to die, You know, euthanasia. Maybe they just put an older person out of their misery or just leave them to die even if they're suffering. And then, of course, abortions as well. And uh, you think it doesn't get dark, and this is pretty dark, but one example. A few years ago, I remember hearing it on the news. North South Korea had intercepted a shipment of supplement pills that was being sent by China to South Korea on the black market through North Korea. It makes sense. They're both right on top of each other, and China's right above North Korea. And, of course, as much as China and North Korea have a rough relationship, they are also still allies. The thing is, um, so these supplement pills were supposed to just make you healthier, but um, it was actually – the flesh of of babies that had been aborted because of China's population control, one child policy, all those different things, and that's really really dark. It is, but that's what socialism, that's what communism gets you to. That's where it leads. And again, that's socialism too. 
and you look at the abortions that are subsidized, even forced on people, even in socialist countries, and it's it's disgusting. It really is. But that's the that's the the party the the belief that's focused on taking care of people and making sure we're all equal. It's not. It's just not people. There's no other way around it. Now I know that there is so much more that can be covered in this topic. Um, this is an interesting discussion in many ways, but it uh, is also a necessary one. Communism and socialism is more popular in this country now than perhaps it's ever been, although it has arisen from time to time. And maybe we'll go over it more later, another episode. Um, but we're about out of time, and I don't want to to just drag on. I hope that this is giving you something to think about, that it's helped, maybe been interesting. We've learned something. Remember that socialism and communism is pushed by selfish people that refuse to take personal responsibility for their lives. They want somebody else to make the decision, and it functions contrary to the foundational aspects of human character and function ordained by the creator and confirmed as constantly being true throughout history, and it puts far too much power in the hands of far too few. As we go forward, I'm considering starting a new weekly episode on top of the normal one. I want to start covering current issues a little bit more, and I plan on starting a weekly recap of the top news stories, both nationally and for Kentucky specifically, as you might uh, guess to be logical from the title of this podcast. So be on the lookout for that. Um, Those will be pretty fast-paced, even if they're not much shorter than a regular episode, because it's just going to be hitting the the big headlines and and maybe some of my thoughts on them and moving on and trying to, to make sure that for to get into making sure I'm staying on current issues and, and keeping you all informed. And we'll see where that goes from there. But definitely keep an eye out for that. As always, please share this with your friends and your neighbors. Um, if you if you like what I'm doing, don't forget to turn on notifications so that you know when I publish a new episode. I know that you can do some of that. I'm not familiar with all the ways yet, but definitely try and, and keep tabs on that. Together, we can build a platform that really makes a difference, folks. I know that we can, but I need your help doesn't have to be much. Just take a second to help get this out there. Even just telling a friend in casual conversation about the Kentuckian that you've been listening to can make a huge, huge difference. Also, if you'd like to support me in a more personal way, help me be able to, to continue doing this and, and do it even better. You can contribute directly through Anchor um, to me, or you can visit my Patreon that's linked in the description below. Always feel free to reach out to me with questions, comments, suggestions, and the like. As I leave you this episode, always remember, as long as you and I are doing the right thing, we can make a real difference in this world.